Well, thank you very, very much for joining me for our 14th episode of Spurbs Herbs. Today we are going to be talking about a very interesting herb, which is going to be Ma Huang or Ephedra. This is probably one of the most notorious herbs we have, and it is absolutely uh, an important herb. We're going to find out how important that is in in our, our pharmacopoeia. And it just there's there's nothing to be said about it. And it's banned in large parts of the world. So we're going to be talking about all of that today. It's a very interesting episode of Spurbs Herbs. So today's episode is, uh, if you are an acupuncturist, this podcast as well as others are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activities at a reasonable cost. So please uh, check us out and we'll be happy to, to help you with that. You can check us out at spurbsherbs.com. And then I also have a new book coming out called Dragons in the Medicine Cabinet, Chinese Herbal Medicines Everyone Should Have at Home. If this sounds like an interesting book to you, please send me an email at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com and I will put you on the list and let you know what's happening with that when it comes out. Thank you. Okay, so I have a book uh, by Zhu and Zhu. And it's called Herbal Legends, and it's very cool. It's stories about 100 different herbs. Ma Wang was, I think, uh, herb one or two. It's, it was right at the front. That's such an important herb. And here's that story from Herbal Legends of Ma Wang. There was an old herbalist who was without child. He had a disappointing, arrogant student with little knowledge, and he still looked down on his teacher. Sometimes he kept money he earned by selling herbs and spent it instead of giving it to his teacher. The teacher was brokenhearted. You don't need me anymore. Please go work by yourself, said the teacher. All right, said the student without hesitation. But there's only one kind of herb you can't thoughtlessly sell. Which one? Leafless grass. Its roots and stems have different uses. To induce sweating, you use the stems. For other uses, you use the roots. If you make a mistake, you will make people die. Do you understand? Yes. Repeat it. The student repeated what his teacher told him at once, but he didn't really mean what he said. He wasn't thinking at all. After they parted, the student and teacher sold herbs separately, and the student became bolder than before because his teacher was not with him. He dared to treat all kinds of disease, though he only knew a few medicinal herbs. Not too long after, he caused a patient's death with leafless grass. The dead man's relatives took him to the county official at once. From who did you, whom did you learn? asked the, count, the county official. The student gave his teacher's name, and the official ordered his teacher called for. How did you teach your student? He has made a patient die, said the official. I am not to blame, said the teacher, because I clearly gave him instructions about the leafless grass. 
Do you remember this? The official demanded of the student. To induce sweating, you use the stems. For other uses, you use the roots. If you make a mistake, you can make people die, the student said. Did the patient sweat or not? He was sweating all over. What medicine did you use? The stems of the leafless grass. You are reckless. No wonder you caused his death, said the official angrily. He ordered the student be beaten and sentenced to three years of imprisonment. Because the teacher had nothing to do with it, he was set free right away. After three years of life in prison, the student became honest. He found his teacher and apologized, saying that he was determined to rectify his life. When the teacher saw that he had changed, he taught him his medical skills. Whenever the student used leafless grass, he was very careful, and since this kind of medicinal herb had given him much trouble, he named it trouble, mafan in Chinese, grass. Later, its name was changed to mahuang, because its roots are yellow, and Huang is the word is the Chinese word for yellow. That is a quick. There you go. That is the legend. This is a quick introduction to the herb we are discussing today. Sets the stage for a discussion of its merits and dangers. This is a very interesting herb on both points. Before we get more into our herb, let's talk about something a little different. In this case, Dechay the current regulatory framework for herbs and supplements in the U.S. I should say, I've always called it Deshea. I think I've heard it called Deshea, but um, I guess it's D-S-H-E-A. It's just an acronym. So, And I have a tendency to pronounce acronyms. Like, I didn't go to UCSD. I went to UCSD. So, probably not appropriate. Okay, so let's talk about the D-S-H-E-A. This is the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. And it's, it, it is United States legislation governing the use of herbs and supplements in the U.S. It has several components to it that is relevant to the practice of, of herbalism and, and, and the use of supplements in the United States. It establishes good manufacturing practices or GMPs for the manufacturing and selling of supplements to the public. So this is this is really important uh, for some of uh, the newer practitioners. You may not be aware of this. In the mid two thousands, I would say, uh, this was a huge issue. The schools and and practitioners were really worried about GMPs because basically on the surface, it would ban us from making herbs for our individual patients, even though it had a passage at the very beginning of it as an introduction to it saying this would not be applied. They would, what it said was the FDA will use enforcement discretion in enforcing these rules against individual practitioners prescribe, making and prescribing herbs for their individual patients. And so... E- e- you know, they, they were saying they didn't want to come after us, but they said enforcement discretion, which means the way I always explained it is if someone were to die or be harmed uh, as one of my patients that I did something, they're, they're going to make an example out of me. They may use some enforcement discretion on day-to-day activities, but if someone gets hurt, they're going to go after the person who hurt them. So um, we're very concerned. The schools were hugely concerned about this. I was working at the schools and was on a, on a committee uh, to work with uh, determining GMPs. Uh, and, and really what, what it came down to is I think in the long run, we just kind of said, 
all right, they don't seem to be enforcing it, and we're pretty good. Um, for the most part, it the one practice it probably did stop was uh, practitioners would sometimes buy large bottles of an of a herb that they prescribed a lot, and then they'd break it down, put it into baggies, or put it into other bottles for their patients. And that would be a, um, it's not a violation of GMP, but it puts you squarely in the in the in the realm of manufacturing just with the chain, oh, you're opening a sealed bottle and um, distributing. So that kind of puts you in the realm of manufacturing and out of the realm of an individual practitioner. So I think a lot of those practices have stopped. But other than that, I think things have gone along pretty normal for a profession uh, with the GMPs. The other thing that it, it required is it mandates the use of dietary labels describing the ingredients in supplements. And, and actually, that's been kind of a boon because there were some herbal supplements, Chinese herbal supplements, that they would not tell what the ingredients are. And basically, they got banned from the United States. So now we know the ingredients of some of these formulas. I'm thinking of something like Yunin Baiyao, which is a very, very famous uh, formula that is hidden. It was a secret. It was a state secret as far as I, I was told. And you couldn't know what was actually in them uh, because of the state secret, secrecy around it. Uh, and now in order to be sold in the United States, they do. They have told us what the ingredients are. Now, whether it's true or not, that's a whole other scenario. But certainly we know a lot more about that, that herb um, because of Deshaies than we did otherwise. So, so that's two aspects of Deshaies. Now, before we get into another very important aspect of it, probably its defining aspect, let's actually look at how Deshay defines a supplement, uh, a dietary supplement. It is a product other than tobacco intended to supplement the diet that bears or contains one or more of the following dietary ingredients, a vitamin, a mineral, an herb or other botanical, an amino acid, a dietary substance for use by man, to supplement the diet by increasing the total dietary intake or a concentrate metabolite constituent extract or combination of any ingredients described. So that is the definition of a dietary supplement in the United States. It continues that a supplement means a product that is intended for ingestion and in a form described in another section. You look at that section and it just lists like capsules and powders and extracts, things along those lines, is not represented for use as a conventional food or as a sole item of a meal or the diet and is labeled as a dietary supplement. So it needs to have that dietary supplement label. Arguably, the most important aspect of DSHEA, at least for manufacturers and consumers, is there does not need to be Food and Drug Administration FDA approval prior to marketing supplements if they were marketed in the U.S. before 1994. So if you're not from the States and you don't know what the FDA is, the FDA is sort of the, the central, very strong administration in the U.S. government that oversees drugs and food and drugs. And so very, very strong, very, very um, um, uh, monolithic and, and is in charge of all, all of these things in the United States. Very, very important administration in the, in the U.S. government. And so what Deshay said was the FDA basically does not get involved with supplements with a few exceptions, which we're going to talk about. In other words, if it was a supplement before 1994, the FDA can basically say nothing about it. So it doesn't control marketing. 
It doesn't control um, ingredients, nothing. So that the, the, the supplement industry just exploded after this because it was pretty well protected. They didn't have to worry about the FDA. Now, having said this, there are still guidelines on marketing of any supplement, basically anything that's not approved by the FDA. In other words, you cannot, in, in the U.S., you cannot make claims that it, cures disease in any way shape or fashion so you can't say an herb and says this helps um you know uh eczema that's a cure that's a disease curing things now what you can do is say uh it it aids in the support of the skin that's fine that's non-specific that's not curing a disease and you see a lot of supplements with something similar to that uh, if they're really smart, they'll have a little notice at the end. The FDA has not approved any of these marketing notices, and, you know, there's some legalese that can happen there. So um, if you don't make a disease claim, because as soon as you make a disease claim, it's no longer a dietary supplement. It's now a drug, and it now needs to be proven like a drug and approved like a drug. So that's why you can't make cure disease claims in the United States, but you can do all this other stuff without any problems. Now, if... A dietary supplement comes out after 1994. It is considered a new dietary ingredient, and the FDA needs to review but not improve, approve notifications providing reasonable evidence of their safety or reasonable expectations of their safety before marketing. So the FDA has a small role in it, but they can't really say no. They're just reviewing your stuff. I guess they can come back and say, well, we don't like this, change it, or something along those lines, but they still cannot say no to a supplement. So Deshaies is amazing in that regard. We have a lot of consumer freedom because of the DSHEA. And I'm always shocked. At, you know, I, I lived in Australia for four years and I'm, I'm, I was always really shocked at what I could buy over the counter in Australia and what I couldn't buy over the counter in Australia. So for example, codeine is available in Australia over the counter where here it's, it's solely a prescribed uh, substance. And, that, and, and I think in most areas of the world, codeine is, is available over the counter. Um, on the other hand, here in the States, um, we can actually buy DHA, DHEA, which is a precursor to, test, to testosterone, and that's considered a hormone and actually considered a doping drug by several athletic organizations elsewhere in the country, uh, elsewhere in the world. And so uh, it's just amazing that you can just walk in and buy this where it's pretty much banned everywhere else. In the, I don't want to say everywhere else, but in a lot of places of the world. And so the Deshaies is, is done a lot of interesting things. So coding is a drug, so it's not quite in the same category, but I was just using an example of what's different. Okay, so the DSHEA is a powerful law that places the choice of supplements in the hands of consumers rather than the government. The FDA can only ban a supplement if the D FDA finds proof that the supplement is dangerous. In other words, instead of, like in drugs, instead of the manufacturer proving that a drug is safe, the FDA has to prove, the burden of proof is on the FDA, and they have to prove that it, the supplement is not safe. That's a huge difference. So they have to... Show proof that the supplement is, is dangerous. This opens it up to criticism and accusation that allows free reign to supplement manufacturers and marketers at the expense of the safety of consumers. So that's one side of the, of the, um, the fight on the Deshaies. It's like, look, we're not protecting our consumers and we're, we're throwing them to the mercies of the manufacturers and, and, and 
marketers. On the other hand, many consumer advocacy, advocacy groups hail its support of consumer health freedom so that this is considered a positive for consumers. So we can basically do whatever we want. And you think about it, these services have been around for hundreds of years. Why should the FDA get in the, in the middle of all this? Of course, when you do that, for every um, herb that's uh, been around for 100 years, we have you know things like MSM and melatonin, which have not. You know Those are relatively new discoveries and, and packaging and supplements. So some consumer advocacy groups are saying, no, this is not protecting our consumers and it needs to change. And other consumer advocacy groups is this is great. Consumers have this, this total freedom. So both sides of it. So while the FDA has banned several chemicals and supplements, the only herb banned is our herb today. That's the only one I could find, by the way. There, there may be some, but they had a list of ingredients that they had banned, and there were no other herbs on it. On the same token, Federal wasn't on it either. I had to dig for the notice for that. Um, and, and here's the problem is ephedra, mahuang, our herb for the day, is not actually really banned what it is is the FDA issued an order in April 2004 preventing the inclusion of ephedra in supplements. So technically is not banned as an individual herb. So if you put ephedra in a dietary supplement, banned. That's illegal in the United States. But if you have the raw herb and you give it to a patient and, and tell them to make a tea out of it, which, by the way, other species of this is called Mormon's tea is one of the, the, the names for other species, not the species that we're talking about, grows all over here in the United States and is used commonly as, as an herb in that scenario. Um, the same token, if that's the thing that we're saying that someone should do, then that is not illegal. Uh, we can recommend it, uh, though I'd be very cautious about malpractice concerns. I think if you were to talk to your malpractice company, they would say, no, we would not cover you if you prescribe this in any way, shape, or form, which is a valid choice on the malpractice uh, insurance company. So that's a different scenario. But it is technically not banned as an individual herb. It's only banned when combined with other herbs as an herbal supplement, as a dietary, or as a dietary supplement. So you can never find like a capsule of ephedra. That would not be good. So... Other countries, such as the United Kingdom and Canada, do have more extensive bans. They pretty much have banned it completely, so you do not get to get to uh, see that in any other way. So that is ephedra and DSHEA. It is um, the DSHEA, just in a, in a broad generality, is one of those um, legislations that I think the people who are for it are ultra for it. And I think as a profession, we're very for it. It gives us a lot of leeway in how we deal with herbs and supplements. Uh, those who are against it are uh, definitely in the protect, let's protect the, the consumer sort of uh, boat. And uh, they have some good rationales behind it. But uh, I personally am on the personal freedom side of things. And I, I think it does really well. And it's interesting, every few years, there's, there's usually sort of a movement to change or eliminate the DSHEA. And I've heard, I, I don't know if it's true, I haven't been able to find this, but I've heard like every time they go about doing that, the, the, uh, the switchboard at Congress just goes wild. It's like this is one of the most popular uh, laws out there in the United States. And they don't, there's a lot of people who don't want 
this touched in any way, any such way, any way whatsoever. So that's Tichet. Very, very important in the United States and for herbalism in general. All right, so that leads us to the 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 gist, the 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 center of what we're talking about today, which is Ma Huang. So those are both second tones, uh, if you're familiar with Chinese. Again, every episode I talk about, I've had a few years of Chinese, and my pronunciation sucks. So please excuse it. <laughs> so, so Ma Huang is of the family Ephedra Ephedraceae. And its medicinal part is the herb, so it's it's ephedra herba is the Latin, as we saw at the title card here. Its English translation is hemp yellow or numb yellow herb. So those are sort of direct translations of what ma huang means, huang meaning yellow. And ma, it, it, ma uh, is a word for hemp, so uh, that definitely makes sense. Other names for this are ephedra stem. In Japanese, it's Mao. In Korean, it's um, Mahuang. But it's one word that I see, you know, that the source said M-A-H-W-A-N-G, which is very different than or H-U-A-N-G of the Chinese. So that's Korean. It can also be called Jing Mahuang, Mahuang Rong. We're going to talk about Mahuang Rong as one of the preparations. Uh, specific species. So there are very different species of this. This is actually Ephedra sinica. And there are uh, hundreds of species under this genus. And uh, so some of those uh, specific species include Salma Huang, which is Ephedra sinica. So that's another way for this one, Sao, uh, which means grass, if that's the word. I'm, I'm not sure about the actual character, but Sao does mean grass. Um, and then Zhongma Huang, Zhongma Huang is Ephedra intermedia. And Mudze Mahuang is Ephedra equisitina. So those are other species. And um, some of those can be substituted in, uh, and used as Mahuang. Uh, so that's why they're, they're included here as other names. So dosage is interesting. All of my, my, I have three major sources that I use. And we'll be referring to them throughout this. We have Chen and Chen. We have Bensky and his group, including Volker Scheid. And then we have Brandon Wiseman, uh, the concise uh, herbal uh, material medica. And so what's interesting is the dosage actually differs between all three of them, though fairly close. So Bensky says the dosage of this herb is 2 to 9 grams per day. Chen and Chen says 1.5 to 10 grams, so a little bit wider range of dosing and Brandon Wiseman actually starts a little bit higher says um, between three and ten grams so we're they're in the ballpark of each other but there are slight differences between them and and that may not seem super significant but it kind of is because all three of these are are basically translations of official uh, herb uh, materia medica books in the U.S. and in, in China and therefore you, you know when you get into what each of these books say about actions and everything. We're really talking about translational differences and not necessarily about any fundamental differences. So it's interesting that there's slight differences in the dosing. So ephedra genus, let's talk about ephedra genus. It is the only genus in the family of uh, ephedraceae that we talked about. So the family is ephedraceae, and there's only one genus under that, uh, that family, and that is the ephedra genus. 
They are gymnosperms, which refers to their unenclosed seeds because gymnosperm means naked seed, literally from the Latin, so uh, unenclosed seeds. Generally, they are shrubs, though they can be clambering vines or rarely small trees. Remember, I said there's hundreds of different species, so most of those species are going to be shrubs. Um, some of them are going to be clambering vines, and very rarely they're going to be small trees. There are many species of this genus, and they are found worldwide except Australia. Australia is its own little continent. It's really fascinating. Uh, in Generally in desert regions is where it grows. The category, again, uh, these sound different, but they're all very similar. They're just different translational changes. So Bensky says it is a warm, acrid herb that releases the exterior. Chen and Chen says it's a wind-cold releasing herb. And Brandon Wiseman classifies it as a warm, acrid, exterior resolving medicinal. So you can see very similar, the, the Brandon Wiseman, very similar to Bensky. Chen Chen kind of took the opposite tax so this both Bensky and Brandon Wiseman they say this is a warm acrid herb that is describing the herb that it resolves the exterior releases the exterior Chen Chen are kind of taking the opposite thing is like it treats wind cold so it's still a warm acrid herb it hasn't changed or anything but it's out now looking at the type of treatment and it's treating wind cold and releases that wind cold and so that's where the difference is the translation but they're both they're all three very much in the same ballpark it is acrid or spicy. So those are considered synonyms as translations in, in, in our field. Slightly bitter, according to Bensky and, and Brandon Wiseman. Um, warm and enters the lung and bladder. So Chen Chen agrees with all that, except Chen Chen doesn't think it is slightly bitter. It thinks They think it is actually bitter. So it's not slightly. It's full-on bitter. So um, if, if that seems a little weird, you know, all our herbs have these tastes. We haven't really discuss that in spurbs herbs and we will at some point and um, those tastes are said to have specific properties so the fact that something is slightly bitter versus fully bitter changes its strength in in some of its actions so it's it's a subtle and probably not a hugely impactful difference between them but it, it does have some impact that the fact that they think it's slightly bitter The best quality of Mahuang has light green or yellowish green stems, sections of which cannot be separated with a reddish brown center. So that's good quality. Uh, Bensky and Chen and Chen both agree that the original source for this herb is the Shennong Ben Sao Jing or the Divine Husbandsman's, Husbandsman's Classic of the Materia Medica uh, written um, sometime in the second century CE. So uh, this is probably the Shenong Ben Sajing is, is the oldest existing book on singular herbs. So again, this shows how long this herb has been used. Uh, it, it was written down in the second century. It's been used for a lot longer than that. So we know how long this, this is and how important this herb is. In fact, that it's, it was uh, in the very first text. So a very, very important thing. Um, the reason why I kind of make it clear that Bensky and Chen Chen both agree that this is the original source is because sometimes they don't. And uh, that could be significant in, in, in at least historically interesting that there's some, some confusion. But here there isn't. It definitely came from that. You know, uh, I, I've talked about Shendong before, uh, but if you don't remember, Shendong is considered one of the, the three ancient emperors, gods sort of thing in, in China. And he was said to have... 
um, given uh, us uh, cultivation and herbalism and all that sort of thing. So it's, it, the, this book is attributed to him basically uh, that, uh, again, kind of shows uh, the reverence for the history of all this. So definitely a very important book, important historical legendary figure. Okay. According to Bensky, at uh, Ma Huang has the following actions. It induces sweating and releases the exterior. So that's important. So one of the things that you're going to see, all these, in, in some way, or shape, or form, they're going to say it induces sweating, and that is probably one of its main functions uh, and releases the exterior. So we're, what we're trying to do is, the, the idea here is you've been attacked from the outside with a cold uh, pathogen. We say a wind-cold pathogen. So when you have a cold, um, a cold in the biomedical sense, um, there's lots of different types of colds in Chinese medicine. You can have a cold cold, a warm cold, a damp cold, a dry cold. Generally, uh, uh, cold colds and warm colds are the big differentiator. And uh, we, instead of saying a cold, we say a wind attack. So a wind cold means you have a cold that is of cold nature. And so this induces sweating and releases the exterior. So the idea is when you get attacked from the outside, you want it to push it out back out to the outside. And this herb can help you do that very effectively when it is a cold pathogen, a wind cold pathogen entering from the outside. So inducing sweating is one way we push it out and releasing the exterior is, is we're clearing the way for it to go out. So it also disseminates and facilitates the lung chi. So in other words, it helps lung chi move. So if you have uh, a wheezing or something along those lines, this is considered one of the, the big asthma drugs, uh, asthma herbs, I should say, uh, for in the Chinese Materia Medica. And it's, it's because it facilitates, disseminates the lung chi, allows it to do it. And, and we know that ephedrine and pseudoephedrine, which we're going to find out are the contents of this, actually do dilate our bronchioles, which is exactly what you need in an asthma and would be very similar to this sort of Chinese approach to it. Same token, it calms wheezing. Wheezing is a hallmark of, of asthma and indicates narrowing of the airways. Uh, so it calms wheezing and stops coughing. Again, coughing is a, is a component of asthma as well as other things. I'm not just limiting it to asthma. I'm just kind of making my point about asthma. It also promotes urination and reduces edema. So it's very interesting that context. We, that function of promoting urination and reducing edema is something that's very common in our category of herbs called drain damp herbs. And uh, so this, this is a very interesting aspect. A lot of the herbs that are in this category do not promote urination or reduce edema. So that's a, a different thing. It warms and disperses cold pathogens. Uh, so in this case in particular, like I said, that's what it, it kind of does anyways. It opens up the exterior and, and warms and pushes out the, the cold pathogens from a wind cold. But in this case, what we're actually talking about is a deeper in the body cold and a specific type of cold, cold, specific type of cold uh, that's called wind cold painful obstruction. And this is going to be more about like that cold that gets into the joints and just really hurts and aches. And it's cold. That's the important part. It's cold. Um, and it's in the a category of, of syndromes or, or diseases in Chinese medicine called B or obstruction, painful obstruction patterns, Bijong. And so uh, it's very useful for that as well. So it's not really that wind cold that we're talking about that's from the exterior there's more of a more internal wind cold that has invaded the joints in particular 
Chen Chen has very similar actions, though the like I said, there are translational differences, so they're going to sound a little bit differently, but they're very similar. So releases the exterior through diaphoresis. We're going to see that word a lot, diaphoresis. That basically means promotion of sweat or perspiration. So releases the exterior through sweating. I told you that was going to be on all these. Relieves wheezing and dyspnea. So dyspnea means uh, trouble breathing. So uh, which, frankly, if you have wheezing, you probably also have dys dyspnea at some level and stops cough. So it does that. It regulates water circulation and relieves edema. That's that promote urination that we saw under Bensky, very similar, and disperses cold, uh, which it is very warm. This is a very warm herb, so it definitely disperses cold. And finally, Brandon Wiseman, again, has very similar actions, but stated differently as well. So it promotes sweating and resolves the exterior. That sounds very similar to Bensky. It diffuses the lung and calms panting. So that's an interesting translation because when we, in Chinese, uh, we, we often will, will say wheezing slash panting. It, the translation is very similar. And so uh, even though there's a slight difference in that symptom, uh, so they chose to go on the panting side rather than the wheezing side, but they're very similar, though slightly different. It disinhibits water and disperses swelling. So again, that's a different way of saying that promotes urination and, and uh, reduces uh, uh, edema, but that's in the same ballpark. Finally, it warms and disperses cold evil. So yeah, all these pathogens uh, can be called evils, um, not in the sense of good versus bad or, or God versus Satan sort of evils, but more as in um, these are pathogens that are not good for us entering our body. They're, you know, these are bad or evil pathogens, not in a more general sense of good versus evil. Okay. So those are Chinese medical actions. Any questions you're always welcome to if you're listening to this on a on a, a cast podcast or something you're more than welcome or recording you're more than welcome to send me an email I'm happy to answer that and if you're listening to this live feel free to throw in any questions if you have any all right continuing with chinese medical actions we do have a fourth book that we throw in and that is that original source that we mentioned earlier the divine farmers materia medica the shen nang ben sao jing that we mentioned earlier as the source of this so it's it's kind of interesting to go back to the source and especially what it says because it's very different than what we just heard the more modern approaches to this so uh the shen nang ben sao jing says that it is a middle class herb which is interesting because obviously in the west right now we consider this to be a dangerous herb and that would be considered an inferior class herb so superior class herbs are basically those that make you light and make you um, help your body and should be taken long term middle class herbs should be taken when you are um, not feeling good and, uh, and then probably stopped and then the inferior should only be used for short periods of time to directly stop a, a disease process so this is a middle class herb so it's an interesting herb. Uh, it, and here's a quote from, from its section. It is bitter and warm. Again, very much in line with what we've been talking about. Non-toxic. Don't think that's in line with the overall feelings of this. Treating mainly wind stroke cold damage. So wind stroke is different than the wind cold that we were talking about earlier. This is more of a sudden... Uh, attack of cold and and more internal than the wind cold that we were talking about, which is more external. There's two kinds of winds, an internal wind and external wind. We've been talking about the external wind. This is referring more, when you talk wind stroke, it's more of the internal type of wind. Um, so it treats mainly wind stroke, cold damage, headache, and warm malaria. 
Interesting. Warm malaria. I'm sure that's a type of malaria. Uh, since we don't treat a lot of malaria, I haven't really studied that in the Chinese point of view. It effuses the exterior through sweating. So again, we still have that sweating thing. Eliminates evil heat chi. So that's interesting. Heat. So this is saying it treats heat rather than treats cold. It's really strange. Um, suppresses cough and counterflow chi ascent, which, by the way, is is sort of a, a different name for a cough, or a cough is a type of chi ascent, of ascending chi. Eliminates cold and heat. Interesting. And breaks concretions and hardness, so accumulations and gatherings. So it it it, it breaks basically stagnations. So all that's pretty much in line with what we've been seeing, except for it treats both cold and heat. This is not something that we would use to treat heat, but with in combination with other herbs, which we are going to talk about, it can be actually very good for treating heat, but only in combination, not exclusively on its own. The commentary on Bensky uh, discusses some interesting aspects of this herb. It can be used for deep-rooted toxic sores without a head. So remember, a head on a sore means, or a point, it means it's about to burst through and release. Um, so it doesn't have a head caused by accumulation of dampness or phlegm and cold. So uh, anytime there's sort of a pussy or a liquidy sort of thing, we say there's some dampness and or phlegm going on in that. So this is good for that before it points. So this will help express it, in other words. Combined with other herbs, the warm dispersing nature can be instrumental in breaking up the congealing of the gathered yin pathogens. Yin damp and, and phlegm that we just talked about are kind of yin are yin pathogens, so that may be what they're referring to here. Thus allowing nourishment to reach the area and repair tissues. So basically what they're saying is there's something congealed and stuck and that is preventing proper nutrition and proper uh, uh, ability, healing aspects to happen. And so if we can break that up, then we can actually allow uh, blood flow and nutrients and the body's natural processes. It can also be useful for opening the pores and facilitating the absorption of topical medicine. So adding this onto a topical medicine means that that medicine will be absorbed more because the pores are going to be opened up. As discussed in legend at the beginning of this podcast, this herb can be a powerful and versatile agent. However, it requires familiarity with the local environment and population. And here's a quote. A dosage appropriate in one place may be excessive in another. And the example they gave is if you're down in Sichuan province where it's very hot, warm, and damp, and they say you have thin skin, a very low dosage of this is going to produce its effects. However, if you're up north in Mongolia and you it's very cold all the time and they say you have very thick skin, then... A higher doses is going to be necessary for it to have its effect. So it's important to know the thing. I live in San Diego. It's a deserty area. This would be, I would be very cautious with using it. Not, you know, I have used it and I'm not, you know, worried about it, but I'm cautious when I use it in this area. If you're, you know, up north in the middle of winter, you know, in northern New York or, or uh, I don't know, uh, North Dakota or something, then a higher dose of this would be appropriate and probably necessary for its effects to occur. There are many different preparations for this herb. The, there are several ways to prepare it. You can have Jingma Huang, which is cleaned ephedra. This is where the roots and nodes on the stalks are removed, 
resulting in a lesser diaphoretic effect. However, the nodes can be left on if the herb is not going to be used to induce sweating. There's something a little bit off in this because some of the other passages we have kind of contradict this. So I'm a little confused on this. And um, so I, I don't know exactly if these nodes are helpful or not helpful for diaphoresis. because Some of the other stuff says it is helpful. So keep that in mind with this. Uh, there's Jirma Huang, which is prepared ephedra. And this is stir fried with water, reduce, and that reduces the diaphoresis, the sweating, uh, but strengthens its lung calming effect. Ma Huang Rong, ephedra cotton, is clean ephedra, is brought to a boil in water until it rolls over 10 times until froth rises, it is then removed, dried, and ground until the fibers become soft. So this saves the trouble of removing foam as discussed below in its cooking process. We'll talk about that in just a second. It is slightly less diaphoretic than cleaned ephedra, but stronger than prepared ephedra. Mi ma huang. So that's the germa huang that we just talked about, the prepared, but it's mi, which is honey. So this is honey prepared ephedra. Honey is brought to a boil and the froth and any extraneous materials are removed from the top is then filtered and returned to a boil. Boiling water is added to thin the solution, which is then poured over cleaned ephedra and covered. The amount of cooked honey should be 20% of the herb, and the water should be one-third of the honey. This causes moderation of the acrid dispersing qualities while the duration of action of ephedra is increased. It also moistens and thus protects the lungs from these qualities. So this is really cutting down that dispersing and, and sort of... Um, acrid spicy uh, function of of the mahuang chen chen has some some other preparations and they say mahuang should be pre-decocted and the foam removed prior to adding other herbs to the decoction the foam is said to cause irritability and excessive diaphoresis so excessive sweating so that's how they recommend it and how if we are going to prescribe it as a decoction it should probably be decocted first the foam removed, and then the rest of the herbs come in. So really quickly, that foam, I think, comes up really quickly. So it's just a little bit before the rest of the herbs. That's how it should be traditionally prepared. Unprocessed mahuang should be used to treat external pathogens lodged in the way or defense level. Um, this is way too complicated for us to get in here, but at some point we'll talk about the four levels of Chinese medicine. Honey fried ephedra should be used when treating respiratory or respiratory conditions. Sorry, I say respiratory from my Australian days. Uh, respiratory conditions not caused by exterior wind cold with signs, symptoms of coughing, dyspnea, or wheezing. So that's more appropriate when it's not like a cold. It's more, more of a chronic sort of condition. So if we're going to go back to that asthma thing, which again, I don't always like the one for one of a Chinese and a Western diagnosis. But if we're talking about asthma, that's probably more in line with using the honey fried ephedra rather than the unprocessed. So now we, we start to get into combinations of this with other herbs. And, and this has some really fundamental and important combinations in Chinese medicine. Uh, the, the first of them is with guizhi. Uh, if ma wang is the first herb in the herbal book, and it, I don't know about most people, but I know we followed the book, so it was the first herb we learned in all of our herbal classes. Guizhi, or cinnamony ramulus, this is cinnamon twig, 
was the second herb. It was right behind this. So there's the same category, same everything. So with Guajir, Cinnamomy, Remulus, both are acrid and warm and enter the greater yang channel or the bladder channel. So remember we said it enters the lungs and bladder. That's the bladder channel. So this combination is used when the pathogenic cold is lodged in the exterior, especially in winter. Mawang travels best at the protective or way level, strongly dispersing cold by promoting sweating. Guajir moves best at the nutritive or the ying level, warming the channels and releasing the muscle layer. And together they work very synergistically, but you want to make sure it's a cold condition. This is a very warming combination. It's also very good with Xingren or uh, Arminaceae uh, semen, which is, uh, I want to say apricot seed. I think that's what it is. Uh, as both enter the lungs and alleviate coughing and calm wheezing. So very good for that. Ma Wang disseminates and facilitates the flow of lung qi, while Xing Ren drains and directs the lung qi downward. Together, these match the natural effects of the lungs and can restore normal function of the lungs. So it's a very powerful combination as well. In fact, there are whole form there's uh, formulas that use this combination quite a bit in the category of stopping cough and, and things along those lines. So very good with that. can also be used with Shu Di Wang or Ramanie Radix Preparata. Uh, they benefit the kidneys while calming wheezing. So this is a condition in Chinese medicine we call um, kidneys not grasping the qi. So it's the idea is that um, we breathe in from our lungs, but the qi from the from the air goes to our kidneys to do some function. So if the kidneys can't catch that qi, can't get that qi, we have um, kidneys uh, not grasping the qi the or grasping from the lungs. And this is a good combination for treating that. It can also be used with Renshin or Ginseng Radix. In patients with weak primal qi or qi vacuity, this combination restores the qi and allows the pathogen to be dispersed without causing profuse or continuous sweating. So if you were to give Ma Wang to someone who has weak qi, basically this is going to disperse the qi that they are, the little qi they already have, and not the qi that's there is not going to be able to hold in the perspiration. So there's a lot of bad sweating that happens. It's what we call non-productive sweating, and is a bad thing. It makes the patient weaker and worse. So this is a good combination to prevent that. Another very important combination is with Shergao gypsum fibrosum, which is talcum. Uh, and Ma Wang are, are they're both acrid and dispersing and enter the lungs, though Shergao is very cold and works deeply. So they're kind of opposites. While they both go into the, they're, they're both spicy um, and they go into the lungs. One's very warm, one's very cold. Uh, together, they strongly disseminate the lung chi, cool heat, and calm wheezing. It, so remember, Ma Wang is warm. Sure, Gao is cold, so the cold is going to be stronger than the warm. So we have the, the five temperatures are hot, warm, neutral, cool, and cold. So um, they're not, you know, the, the, the cold is going to be stronger than the warm. So um, best used when the pathogen is moved internally, transformed into heat, and blocked the lungs. So that was that condition I mentioned earlier that we were going to talk about with other herbs. This is a great combination. It can help the heat and the cold. Uh, you know, so that's why the herb under the, the Shendong Ben Jing says it can treat both heat and cold. So normally we think of it as treating cold, but in this combination, it's also very good for treating heat. Contents, uh, the main contents are ephedrine and pseudoephedrine, and these are generally considered the active ingredients. They are alkaloids with strong dilatory actions, especially bronchodilation. So they, 
um, bronchioles are uh, in the in the are the airways in the lungs, and so it helps make those bigger, which is very useful uh, when we're having trouble breathing or asthma or all those sort of things. There are also volatile oils, flavonoids, organic acids, and catechins. The volatile oils are thought to give the herb its dispersing actions, according to Chinese medicine. Chen Shen states Ma Huang is diaphoretic, uh, which means that it promotes sweating. Antipyretic, which means that it lowers temperature. So in, in a wind cold, if you can have a temperature, and this could be helpful for that. It is diuretic, so it promotes urination. That's the definition of diuretic. We know that's a function here. Sympathomimetic, which means it acts like our sympathetic nervous system. So it ramps us up. So that is uh, one thing. Antibiotic, it helps with bacterial infections and affects the respiratory and cardiovascular systems. And so those, those are all there. There's evidence to support a lot of this. A lot of the evidence in, in Chen Chen is from China and is, some of it's very good, some of it's a little weak. But there we go. These cardiovascular effects in, include increasing both diastolic and systolic blood pressures. So that's the number above and below. Um, Diastolic is the higher number, systolic is the lower number, and a mild but prolonged vasoconstrictive effect. So I just said it had dilatory effects, and here it says it's vasoconstrictive. It means it, it tightens up the blood vessels and become a little bit smaller. <coughs> they continue to list some Chinese studies showing positive effects in treating infantile diarrhea with Qianhu, Pusidani radix, coughing and wheezing with other herbs, and asthma, again, with other herbs. Though um, these were generally small studies, I don't consider them strong studies. They were not systematic reviews or anything along those lines. So um, pointing in a direction, but I would not consider them to be definitive in any way, shape, or form. There are lots of studies looking at the effectiveness and dangers of Mahuang. Uh, I always like to go to Cochrane reviews because I think those are very strong evidence. There are several Cochrane reviews that involved Mahuang. Basically, all of them showed poor quality studies, too many herbs at the same time being looked at, um, and uh, chronic juvenile and adult asthma. So what they're saying is there's some but not strong evidence for asthma diabetic peripheral neuropathy and the common cold so at least they looked at these things and basically what they're saying is the evidence isn't strong enough for us to say it works here or not and um one of the concerns is is you know all of these sort of things is uh the potential dangers of using mahuang is always kind of a specter over these these systematic reviews so at this point not enough evidence which makes sense there's hasn't been a lot of studies of these things uh, another article by Clark and his team uh, came to the, basically the same conclusion about asthma uh, with this. So even though I keep saying asthma, 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 the evidence, the scientific evidence is, is still weak on that point. Another systematic review by Kwa concludes there was insufficient evidence to recommend herbs in the treatment of infant bronchiolitis, which is inflammation of the bronchioles. So the bronchioles are the bigger uh, airways in the lungs. And um, so uh, not, uh, not sure there's good or bad there. It's just insufficient. Another area of use that is commonly used for the herb is weight loss, and there were several reviews that found little to somewhat positive evidence. There was broad concern about adverse effects with the ephedra, and I have a list of several studies that basically come to that similar conclusion. There were lots of studies of adverse effects, which we are going to discuss under concerns. 
There are tons of drug-herb interactions, potential drug-herb interactions. Uh, there are no obvious cytochrome P450 or P glycoprotein interactions. Uh, so no issues there, but there are lots and lots of interactions of different drugs. I'm not going to get into all of these at all. Most of them are, are D, some are C, uh, in this case, C, uh, they were case studies. So one individual or two individuals or a handful of individuals, um, lots and lots of stuff here. Uh, I'm not going to list them all. I mean, there's literally like 30 here. Um, there was one in here that was pretty high. Yeah, here's an A-level one uh, with his methylxanthines, including theophylline and caffeine. Uh, there are interactions with that. In fact, they think that's a combination that can be very helpful for weight loss, but at the same token is the one that's most danger for, for a lot of the cardiovascular negative effects. So that's A-level evidence. That's pretty good. The rest are all relatively low level concerns this herb as we have discussed is banned in the united states because of concerns about its safety bensky discusses its toxicity the toxic dose is approximately 30 to 45 grams so remember we said the the daily dose is like uh, nine or ten grams at the higher end so really only about three times or four times higher we're talking about we're in in toxic dosing that's not a very wide window um, between the therapeutic and the toxic dosing Symptoms of acute toxic reaction include palpitations, insomnia. So palpitations, by definition, is awareness of your heartbeat and usually rapid heartbeat. Insomnia, restlessness, diaphoresis, sweating, that makes sense. Chest pain, elevated temperature and tremor. This really, because it's sympathomimetic, it really kind of ramps up your sympathetic nervous system and your your um, metabolism. So you, all these things are kind of things you would expect if your metabolism is going too high. Extreme overdoses can lead to blurred vision, dilated pupils, coma, dyspnea, so that trouble breathing, dysuria, which means trouble urinating or painful urination, convulsions, um, respiratory arrest, uh, cardiac failure, bradycardia, and ventricular fibrillation. Ventricular fibrillation is very bad and life-threatening. So um, extreme overdoses are not good to be avoided, definitely. Chen Chen has following cautions. It should be used with caution in patients with weak constitutions, qi vacuity induced spontaneous perspiration, yin vacuity night sweats, kidney vacuity wheezing or dyspnea, or spleen vacuity edema. A lot of those are very technical sort of things for uh, Chinese medical practitioners, but they're very important for us to be aware of. So there are definitely a lot of different things that this should not be used in should not be used chronically to treat cases of wheezing or dyspnea. So I would put that in the category of should not be used chronically to treat asthma either, you know, as a condition not recommended in cases of liver yang rising or yin vacuity fire. Those are sort of similar, though slightly different conditions. Uh, and they have pretty extreme uh, symptom, uh, you know, symptoms, signs and symptoms. So definitely not recommended in those cases. And it should be used with caution during pregnancy. And when they're saying caution with pregnancy is they're kind of not like you can use it, just be cautious about it. They're kind of more like let's avoid it if we can sort of thing. They, uh, they actually have uh, Chen Chen also has uh, two formulas that they recommend in case of overdosage. The first should be taken every four hours until symptoms are alleviated and includes Da Huang, Ho Po, Mu Xiang, Mang Xiao, and Gan Sao. This is actually really, really similar to a, a, a class of formulas that are called the um, 
uh, order the chi decoctions. It includes a lot of those herbs. So, and those are purgative formulas. So get it out of the system, basically. The other formula is a formula that should, uh, the patient should take 150 milliliters every two hours for three to five doses. And all it includes is Ludo and Gonsal. So Gonsal is in both of them. That's licorice. Um, and that could be a, a helpful can antidote or part of the antidote for this. From a more biomedical point of view, there are several concerns. There have been several cases of spontaneous, spontaneous death due to use of ephedra in supplements. This is often due to its cardiac adverse effects. Uh, and again, I have several studies that show the similar things. There can be toxicity to liver uh, that has been reported, and that included a lot of different things. So included um, raised liver enzymes all the way up to cirrhosis uh, of the liver. So uh, liver toxicity or hepatotoxicity is, a, is an issue here. Uh, a couple studies uh, said there's increased risk of psychiatric, autonomic, or gastrointestinal adverse events and heart palpitations. So uh, again, lots and lots of concerns. When I look at the biomedical literature, I understand why they banned it. Um, from a Chinese medical point of view, when used properly, uh, I don't think there's a whole bunch of danger in this herb, but with the stuff that has happened, I mean, people have died from this herb. That's hard to say about other herbs. Um, other herbs have been adulterated and have maybe caused some stuff, but rarely does an herb cause death. The only one I can really think of is an herb called Fudza or Aconite. Uh, there was a rash of deaths around that, but they were also taking it at super high doses that were completely inappropriate. So, But you could maybe make the same case for ephedra as well. All right, that gets us through everything today. Really appreciate you guys hanging out here and talking to me about, I am fascinated with this herb. I mean, just everything about it. It is such an important herb. There's almost nothing. So in, in Chinese medicine, I like to say that herbal medicine is often about what else. Uh, either, you know, a patient comes in and they uh, want to be on an herbal formula and they have a reaction to a specific herb. So what other herb can I put in that? Or um, I'm out of a particular herb. So what other herb can I use to substitute for that? Or uh, herbs got stopped at the border and they're just not available. And so I can't get my hands on that herb. So what other herb can I do? There's always, it's always about what other herb. The problem with ephedra is there is no other herb. This is, that is, there's nothing that's a great substitution for Ma Huang. There's some that come close, that have some of it, pieces of it, but there's not a singular herb that we can just say, oh, when Ma Huang is bad, let's throw in this herb, you know, when we can't use it. There's nothing like that. So it's a very unique and strong and important herb, and it's banned at this point. It's, you know, it's very difficult to get and to, to use in, in a lot of countries. Uh, and so it's a very interesting sort of uh, herb overall in that context. So, so again, thank you very much for all this. Appreciate it. This is a, I, I found it fascinating learning all this stuff. Uh, and uh, so appreciate it. You can always get in touch with me at Dr. Greg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. And, uh, if you please, if you do visit my website, spurbsherbs.com, uh, when you do buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on the page. I get a few pennies and it helps me to maintain this. Appreciate it. On our next episode, please join us as we discuss one of the most commonly used herbs in the world, hops. 
This Western herb is crucial for beer production, but also harbors health benefits. What are these benefits? Does drinking beer convey these benefits? Will there be other interesting questions? Let's find out next episode. And we have a particularly large bibliography here. It's gigantic at several pages. Uh, and this, you know, I usually put the bibliography up on Spurbserbs if you want to look at my sources. have no problems. I'm kind of proud of my, my uh, bibliographies. All right. I think that is it. Spurbserbs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy Dobbins. Rogers. Campbell. 